and welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a Boston Bruins podcast where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL and the hockey world in general. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order of Built Bars. To keep up with the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, you can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. Each new episode will be automatically uploaded to your feed where you can download, listen, enjoy, and rate and review if you have a moment as well. That would be very much appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at ENC McLaren. And you can also email me at LockedOnBostonBruins at gmail.com. On today's podcast, we're continuing our look at what-ifs in Boston Bruins history. And we're going to be taking a look at the 2015 NHL Draft. Now, as I mentioned in a previous podcast episode, I've been watching a lot of Dark on Netflix, which is a German show that has, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but a lot of it revolves around the concept of time travel and the past being the present, beginning being the end, the end being the beginning. Um, it sounds complicated and kind of nerdy, but it's actually very amazing. It's the third time I'm watching season one, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Anyways, it made me think about the 2015 NHL draft, and if we could go back in time, would we do things differently and make different picks in the first round of the 2015 draft. Now we all remember, of course, that the Bruins had three first round picks in the 2015 NHL draft, all back to back 13, 14 and 15. Now, as we're talking about the NHL draft, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the draft is a bit of a crapshoot. We all know that some players are picked too high, and some players are taken much lower than we think they should have been uh, in hindsight or even, you know, right on that day. If we look at our own Boston Bruins, we see that, of course, David Pasternak was selected uh, very late in the first round of the 2014 NHL draft. Uh, and, you know, 24 teams would have loved to have picked him. Connor Bleakley was selected 23rd by the Colorado Avalanche. He's yet to play an NHL game. Jared McCann went ahead of Pasternak. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, not a bad pick. Alex Tuck. Uh, Sonny Milano. Julius Honka. Jacob Verana. A bunch of guys. Brandon Perlini. All went ahead of David Pasternak that year. Everybody would love to redo that draft and pick Pasternak, who is second in points only to Leon Dreisaitl. The entire Bruins core was basically late-round picks. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Brad Marchand, all picked outside of the first round. Um, Tory Krug, unsigned college free agent. So you never know exactly what you're going to get on draft day. And the Bruins have certainly benefited from some great picks over the years um, in later rounds or down 
the draft board. Uh, and they've also, you know, whiffed many times um, in their draft history. We think of Zach Hamill, for instance. We think of Jordan Karan, of Yuri Alexandrov, of Jared Knight. Just guys that, you know, were taken fairly high, but just never panned out. So that's something to keep in mind as we begin this discussion on the 2015 NHL draft. For those of you who don't remember, the 2015 NHL draft was held at the B&B, no, B&B, the Bed and Breakfast Center, no, the BB&T Center in Florida. That was the year that Connor McDavid was selected first overall by the Edmonton Oilers. Jack Eichel went second overall to the Buffalo Sabres. Dylan Strom was selected third overall by the Arizona Coyotes. The Bruins came into possession of those picks uh, by way of a couple trades. The 14th selection was their own. They came into possession of the 13th pick via a trade with the Los Angeles Kings, where they sent Milan Lucic to Los Angeles in exchange for Martin Jones, Colin Miller, and a 2015 first-round pick. Looking back at that deal, oh my gosh, that is a huge win for Don Sweeney, considering Lucic only had one year left on his contract, and the Bruins weren't likely to re-sign him uh, to be able to get uh, Martin Jones, Colin Miller, and that first-round pick was quite a coup. Uh, They, of course, later uh, flipped not even later, like four days later, they flipped Martin Jones to the Sharks for Sean Corrali and a 2016 first-round pick. And uh, unfortunately, they lost Colin Miller in the expansion draft. But anyways, uh, that pick was the 13th overall pick. They acquired a 2015 first-round pick, a 2015 second-round pick, and another 2015 second-round pick from the Calgary Flames in exchange for Dougie Hamilton. Uh, That was an unfortunate trade looking back. uh, It became clear that the Bruins and Hamilton weren't going to be able to reach an agreement on a a deal for the RFA. Dougie didn't really seem to want to come back, um, and so that trade was made on draft day. Uh, I was working at the score at the time, and there were rumblings that, this was in the works, and when it broke, uh, yeah, I was not very pleased at all. But anyways, those trades allowed the Bruins to have the 13th, 14th, and 15th overall picks uh, in the 2015 NHL draft. They were used to select, at number 13, Jacobs Borrell, a defenseman from the Czech Republic who played for the St. John's Sea Dogs of the QMJHL. The 14th pick, which was the Bruins' original pick, was used to select Jake DeBrusque of the Swift Current Broncos of the WHL. And then the 15th pick was used to select Zachary Seneshin from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds of the Ontario Hockey League. All three of those picks were seen as reaches at the time. We all know the famous meme where... I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was, oh shit, the Bruins could have Barzil, Connor, and Shillington, I should say, right now. And that's in reference to Matthew Barzil, uh, Winnipeg's 
Kyle Connor and then uh, Oliver Shillington. Uh, Barzil and Connor were selected 16th and 17th overall, immediately following the Bruins picks. Uh, Shillington went a bit further down. Uh, actually, he wasn't selected until late in the second round, 60th overall pick. Um, I think the meme really should be Barzal Connor Shabbat, as Sh- Thomas Shabbat, promising young defenseman, was taken with the 18th pick by the Ottawa Senators. Now, this wasn't really a matter of hindsight being 2020. We can look at the top scorers from the 2015 NHL draft and see that. You know, only Jake DeBrusque has made much of an impact at the NHL level. He has 203 NHL games under his belt, 62 goals, 58 assists for 120 total points. That comes behind many players who were selected after him in that draft. Let's talk for a moment about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. comes in 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, 8 chocolate nut free flavors. They're covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. The kicker is they're very healthy for you. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Perfect snack for these days of social distancing if you're working at home. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, that's use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. We all know Brazel won the Calder Trophy in his rookie season. He's got 59 goals, 148 assists in 234 games. Kyle Connor has 105 goals, uh, 30-goal season under his belt. 201 points through 249 games. Travis Konechny of the Philadelphia Flyers. He was selected 24th overall. He's got better stats than DeBrusque, as does Vancouver's Brock Besser, who was selected 23rd overall. Even Anthony Beauvillier of the New York Islanders, who was selected 28th overall, uh, has more points than Jake DeBrusque. The big... uh, guy who has jumped up the draft board is Carolina's Sebastian Ajo. He was selected 35th overall in the second round, and he's fourth in scoring from that draft class, only behind McDavid, Eichel, and Toronto's Mitch Marner. So clearly, the Bruins left some talent on the board, even uh, if you count DeBrusque as a win, which I think it's fair to say that was a solid pick in the mid-first round, but uh, it's Borel and Seneshin that really make us question whether or not the Bruins were very, uh, shall we say, dumb in <laughs> reaching that high on guys like uh, Seneshin and Borel. I mentioned Thomas Shabbat. He has emerged as a star defenseman for the Ottawa Senators, There's just literally a ton of players who have had better careers so far than uh, Seneshin and Zboril. Seneshin has appeared in six NHL games. He's got a goal and two assists for the uh, Bruins. Only uh, a handful of players have 
recorded fewer points. And then, of course, there's some that, you know, haven't even uh, made it into the NHL, but none in the first round. He's got uh, the fewest games played among any forward selected in the first round. Actually, that's not true. Arizona's Nick Merkley, he was picked 30th overall. He's only got five games under his belt. Uh, in terms of defensemen, uh, only, uh, you know, Zborl has two games, zero points to his credit so far at the NHL level. Clearly a lot of players who could have been selected above those two. Uh, at defense, we have Shabbat. There's Travis Dermott from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, even a Boston Bruins pick that made more sense than Zborl in the first round. And let's get into that now. If we're asking what if, I think it's fair to say that based on the butterfly effect principle, everything after that point probably would have been different. So if you think the Bruins don't take Zborl and Seneshin, instead they take, say, Connor and Shabbat, that just changes everything for the Bruins moving forward. You can assume that Brandon Carlo isn't selected in the second round. Jeremy Lozon's not selected in the second round. The Bruins lineup would have looked drastically different in the 2015-2016 season, meaning they likely don't select 14th overall again in 2016, and Charlie McAvoy isn't a Bruin. It changes the results for the next season as well, and perhaps Jackson is not selected uh, in the second round. Yerho Vakaninen isn't selected in the first round. It just has that ripple effect on where the Bruins finish, what they're able to do moving forward. So if you select Shabbat and Connor or Barzil in those spots in the 2015 NHL draft, maybe Brandon Carlo's not a Bruin right now. He's emerged as one of the best uh at-home defenseman in the NHL. Perhaps Charlie McAvoy isn't a Bruin. He is emerged as one of the best young defensemen all around in the NHL. Perhaps Jack Studnika is not a Bruin, and he is, um, you know, a big part of the future down the middle for this team moving forward. Now listen, I'm not denying the fact that Barzil, Connor, Shabbat, Besser, Konechny, uh, even Dermot, these guys are better than who the Bruins have at the moment. All I'm saying is that if you make those picks at that time, it literally changes everything moving forward, and the Bruins likely don't have Carlo, they likely don't have McAvoy, they likely don't have Stanika to build on for the future. Sure, they have guys like Barzil and Connor who have proven to be uh, high-level performers at the NHL, but... That changes the Bruins' cap situation. That changes um, moves that are made in the future. It probably means the Bruins don't have Charlie Coyle at the moment, as there's no need to trade for a center if you have Barzil down the middle. Um, would you have that trade-off? I don't know, but the look and shape of this Boston Bruins team would be drastically different at the moment if they had made those decisions on draft day beginning this season Kyle Connor is making 7.142 million dollars per season that would make him one of the highest paid players on 
the Boston Bruins. I don't think anyone would say they have an appetite to invest more money in him than in Pasternak and in, you know, Bergeron, Merchant, go on and on, Tory Krug. They wouldn't have enough money to re-sign Tory Krug, quite realistically. Uh, Berzel is a RFA heading into this summer. He's due for a huge raise as well. Where would the Bruins have money uh, to re-sign him? I'm not saying, again, that you don't want the best possible talent on draft day. I was as disappointed in those picks as anybody and would have loved for the Bruins to take the best possible players. However, looking back, you can't kind of argue that it hasn't worked out okay for the Bruins based on draft selections that they were able to make afterwards and trades that Don Sweeney has made um, over the years as well. I mean, this team went to the Stanley Cup final in 2019. They were the best team in hockey in 2020 prior to the COVID-19 pause. So you can't really argue with that. Obviously, Kyle Connor could have stepped in for Jake DeBrusque as the second line left winger uh, alongside David Krejci. He, you know, has scored 31 goals, 34 goals, 38 goals through 71 games this season. Um, The Bruins still would have had a need on the right side, but that has since been addressed. So yeah, Connor would have been a great addition on the second line. Barzil as third line center where Charlie Coyle is right now. Again, that trade likely doesn't happen. Uh, but you know, there's cap considerations in there as well. That's not something that really comes into play on draft day. Uh, but you have to think the Bruins would have been in a better position, obviously with those two guys, even Thomas Shabbat on entry level deals, with this core, um, it certainly could have helped them be more successful in uh, the first three years out of that draft. Maybe Claude Julien isn't fired and Bruce Cassidy isn't brought in as Bruins coach as a result. You know, that happened a couple years after this draft. Um, so maybe that changes as well. My basic argument here is that the Bruins should have taken the best possible talent not reached so high on Zborl and Seneshin for sure, and even DeBrusque to be sure. But, um, you know, again, the ripple effect is very real, and they likely don't have Carlo, McAvoy, Sednika, Coyle um, to build on right now. And perhaps the 2019-20 team looks uh, much different. Uh, maybe they can't come to an agreement with some of these guys as RFAs and as the Bruins have been wont to do in the past, they make a, another trade like they did with, with Kessel or with Hamilton or with Sagan. Although Sagan wasn't an RFA at the time, but you know what I mean. Um, I'm not quite ready to just write off Seneshin and Zborl. Jay Leach, who was the head coach of the Providence Bruins, he jumped on a call the other day. And he had this to say about uh, first Jacob Zborl. He said, Zborl in the last 12 or 15 games, became probably our best defenseman overall. That's with the Providence Bruins. His ability to move the puck cleanly, really there's not many that can do it at our level. He was paired with uh, Josiah Didier for most of it, and I think Did's competitive juices wore off a little bit on Z and kind of ignited a bit. And before you knew it, he was a real force down low. Of Sinitian, he said, we were very excited for where Zach was going th- through the st- 
stretch of the last five or six games. He found a home with Brendan Gauntz and Brendan Woods. They were really an up-and-down line that could do a lot of things. They had some speed with Senny and Woody and Gauntz. Was able to complement them with some heady play. And Seneshin started to score, was getting to the dirty areas, and they were a heavy forechecking line. He was finding an identity. I think we all thought that was his identity, a big guy that's quick and can get to the front of the net. It seemed like he was starting to put it together. I saw speed. I saw willingness to get to the net. I saw willingness to be uh, F1 on the forecheck. And with that came some offensive opportunities, and he started to cash in a little bit. Uh, He continued in our mind and in Zach's mind. He's exactly where he needs to be. He's really starting to develop. He had a nice stint in Boston a couple months before. Unfortunately got injured, but he was getting right back to that place as we ended. We're hopeful that that will continue. Uh, So, you know, it's quite possible that both could contend for regular roster spots on the Bruins next season. They're both RFAs. uh, So we can assume that their next contracts will kind of be uh, show-me deals, uh, two-way deals probably, with um, some added incentive for both of those guys to perform in order to prove that they belong in the NHL uh, and that they can show the Bruins that they didn't, you know, colossally mess up on draft day in 2015. Now, I hope that wasn't too rambly and that you were able to follow uh, kind of my logic there. Basically, what I'm saying is, yes, the Bruins whiffed on at least two of those picks, and you can make an argument that they should have picked someone other than DeBrusque as well. DeBrusque has worked out for the most part. I'd like to see him hit that 30-goal mark and to become more of a consistent scorer, but... He has found a home on the Bruins' second line, maybe even third line, if Cassidy feels that he's better suited with Coyle. But he is a mainstay in the Bruins' lineup and a key member of this team. You would have liked to have seen them add one of at least Barzil or Connor with the next picks and probably Thomas Shabbat as well. But... At the same time, if you say that, then, like I said, the ripple effect is very real, and we probably don't have the likes of Carlo and McAvoy and Stadnika coming up uh, based on you know different picks that are made in the future drafts. Uh, the Bruins likely also don't trade for Charlie Coyle and uh, Andre Kasha, Nick Ritchie, all these subsequent moves that were made are probably a wash as well. So the team would look drastically different. They would have been better, certainly, in the short term, having those high-level players on entry-level deals. Uh, But again, their early success, you can't say that it would have been replicated in Boston, per se, but um, their contracts would have been uh, problematic for Boston, with their cap crunch as it is, or having to move, uh, you know, contracts. And so um, their ability to re-sign those guys might have been more difficult. 
certainly re-signing Tori Krug, who we'll talk about here in a moment as well, would be challenging. And you might see them traded for other draft picks and kind of this uh, rebuilding and rebuilding around the core. As it is, the Bruins have been able to build around the core with more veteran players and um, the jury's still out on Seneshin and Zboro, but I'm hopeful that they can make an impact sooner or later. So what if the Bruins made different choices? The last five years in Bruins history would have been significantly different. Um, and who knows if they would have made the final last year. Perhaps they would have gone deeper earlier years. Uh, but from where I'm sitting right now, I'm very happy with the Bruins team that we have. I'm hopeful that Zboril and Seneshin can make an impact at the NHL level. And uh, based on the fact that Don Sweeney was new on the job, you know, I'm not really willing to give him a pass per se, but I think he has done remarkable work since then to make up for those deficiencies at the draft table in 2015 and to create a powerhouse team in Boston. Now I wanted to finish with some news and notes from around the NHL. Um, Ray Bork was speaking to the athletic recently, and he said that he hopes that unrestricted free agent defenseman Tory Krug is able to live out his career in Boston, something that Bork was unable to do as he was eventually traded to the Colorado Avalanche in search of a Stanley Cup, which uh, he won, um, defeating the New Jersey Devils in seven games back in 2001. He said his biggest regret was not being able to win here in Boston. He said even when they won in 2001, that would be the Avalanche, he was still thinking, uh, imagine this was Boston. When they won in 2011, he added, he was a fan watching, he certainly knew it was going to be crazy, and it was. The one thing that he certainly would have liked was to win with so many great teammates that he played with here in Boston. And he's therefore wishing that Tory Krug is able to stay in Boston and make good on um, their ability to win a Stanley Cup. Bork said, Krug is a special player, such a competitor, a great kid, a great Bruin. He wants to be a Bruin. You watch the team play and you see the joy and the fun that they have playing together and the chemistry the team has. I'd love to see him sign here. Um, he also added, we get to spend a lot of time with Tori after games, going to dinner with him and his wife. Uh, Chris and Tori are really close. That's referring to Chris Bork, who is Ray's son and a teammate of Tori's back in Providence uh, several years ago. We got to spend some time over the holidays with the Krugs. It's been a lot of fun. Enjoy watching him play and grow as a player and a person. This was Ray Bork, again, appearing on the... Um, sorry, appearing on The Athletic in a Q&A with uh, Joey McDonald and Fluto Shinzawa. So check that out. Some great stuff from Ray Bork. And it's cool to see uh, the impact that he's having on Tory Krug's life. And... Hopefully he can, can help convince him to stay. There's a lot of things to take into account in terms of salary cap once hockey is back and all that. But uh, we are all hopeful that, you know, Tory Krug is able to be re-signed by the Boston Bruins. 
on the topic of hockey coming back, there's no real um, developments in that. And so the league and the Players Association are continuing to discuss uh, options for bringing hockey back, but there's nothing really going on there. I do want to uh, add before I go that if you have not already read Akeem Alou's piece in the Players' Tribune, I suggest that you do that uh, right away. It's called Hockey is Not for Everyone. And he tweeted uh, yesterday that um, he was you know, sharing the piece. He said, During these difficult past few months, I've done lots of thinking and self-reflection and decided to tell the story of my own journey in my own words. I hope this will inspire the next generation of athletes when things return to normal. I talked about a loose story earlier this season uh, where it came out that uh, former NHL head coach Bill Peters, when they were both in Rockford, he uh, used racist language towards Alou. And Alou goes into details with that, as well as some stories from his uh, OHL career where he was uh, just treated horribly by uh Steve Downey, among others. It really goes into a story. At the very beginning, he writes, um, just to give you a taste of it, he says, You know what I think is amusing? The NHL's title for their annual diversity campaign, Hockey is for Everyone, makes me crack up. Because right now, hockey is not for everyone. I learned that when I was 16. And he goes on to detail some pretty horrible events that took place during his OHL career and kind of his background, uh, his uh, journey through hockey, and some of the things that he's experienced uh, as a result of the game and uh, as a result of hockey culture, which is all pretty, it's just harrowing uh, kind of the things that he went through. So I really um, encourage you to check that out and uh, take some time to think about, yeah, hockey culture in general and how we can go about improving it. Um, I think that's it for today's episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. Again, uh, hopefully I didn't ramble too much through my look back at the 2015 NHL draft. A lot going on there, but I think, again, in general, if the Bruins could go back and make other picks, I think they would based on you know how well some of those guys have played. But also, I think they're okay with where they're at right now and how things have played out in the years since. Um, so I think that's a bit of a fair way to express it. Uh, I would encourage you now to check out the Locked On NHL podcast. Always a good listen. And also check out BuiltBar.com to get your first box of Built Bars for $10 off. Hope you're all doing well, staying safe, and taking care of yourselves. Uh, as social distancing restrictions begin to ease uh, just a reminder to yeah take necessary precautions and take care of yourselves and each other i really appreciate everyone who listens to this podcast and i will talk to you again in a couple days take care friends